Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. All right, when you're ready, go ahead and take a seat, please. What's that, Taylor? It might be. Well, I said, even if you're not ready, go ahead and take a seat. Hey, I'll just say this. I'm going to say two things before we get into the sermon. Uh, Blood Drive, we are hosting here Thursday, the 29th. Um, and, and you can sign up online, right? That was sitting up here, like right here. So I thought that was supposed to be, I'm not supposed to miss that. And yep. But uh, it's one way we serve our community. So it's, it, it's a good thing to do. If you can do it, come and do it. Um, but Jeff and Sandy are always good at, at uh, kind of being the, the hosts and hostess for that. And uh, we have people that come inside this building that have never been in here before. And just when they get greeted, it's a good thing. Secondly, uh, this one doesn't matter. But I just, I've been in this church so long, I have all these memories. <clears throat> so Dan, where'd you go? Thank you. I just, I mean, I, the songs that we're singing before and with this text, I just love that one. Jesus Christ, my king. So I, I was trying to think, how many people would remember this? So I'm going to tell you two things about this. One is I remember a Good Friday service when we sang that song, and my youngest boy was probably he's really young. He's seven or eight, but it was the lyrics of that song, as guilty as I am. And he just went to the whole thing. He goes like, he said, it's not fair. It just wasn't fair. And uh, we sat, I remember we were sitting in a small parking lot in the other campus, not the big one, small one, and he's crying, talking about how unfair it was, or the whole thing, and he, that, was, that was the moment <clears throat> where he said, I want to follow this king. It's a little, like, seven- or eight-year-old language, and he prayed, so that's the one I want to follow. But he got the part that Jesus died for us. I'm, I don't know how you get it. I don't know how that is, but it's a moment of God. Second part is, does anybody, there's nobody here would know this, know where that song came from? Okay, it's got New Buffalo roots. Well, sort of. I learned it from somebody in New Buffalo years ago. Anybody know the Grayson family? Anybody know Sally Grayson? This goes way back. So Sally Grayson, she came through our youth ministry. Actually, I think she was one of the first kids that ever came to youth ministry from New Buffalo. And she was like, man, the Lord got a hold of her in high school. He was like lit on fire. She brought, seriously, she brought over 50 kids from New Buffalo up there. She'd bring, I think she was like a PE, what'd they call them back then? You're like, it, it's a class where you're really not taking a class, but you're a senior. And so you go in and you get credit for being like the helper, the PE teacher. What do we call that, Erica? We don't do that anymore. Yeah, she's pure eight or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So she made, she'd bring all these freshmen and sophomores up. She's like organized four cars and stuff, and they don't all come up there. She just had a had a heart for God. She's an art major. She's got all those. Well, she went up to, to Bethel, Minnesota, and did the, it was a street ministry. I mean, Sally's in, in Germany now, and she's, I don't know if you know, followed her music career and all that, but um, she did this street ministry. Uh, I think it was called Steiger, and she brought it back to us then, and it just became part of the songs that we sing. But you get that the lyrics of that one. It's a little simpler, a little rougher, meaning here we are. And But it, it, it rose out of um, this street ministry in, in Minnesota. It's been, oh, you guys might have, Justine and Steve might have, I mean, we've been singing that for a long time. So I just, 
but it, it says it so well and so clear. Again, this whole book of Matthew, it's about this king. And the beginning of this book as it's come in, these, these first few chapters, really, really what Matthew's done. We're in chapter 4 in the last part of it. He wants to see, who is this? Who is this? Who is this? And the part we're going to read today is right when the ministry starts. But let me just review a couple things about who he is. We saw it in chapter 1 in terms of the genealogy. Why in the world do you put a genealogy in a book? It's, a, it's essentially... You know, it's the record all along the way. But what that record is showing is this is the son of David. This is the one, he's in that line. Messiah will be in the son of David. He's showing that. And then the birth account in Matthew is really short. It's, you know, it's shorter than Luke. It doesn't say actually much about the birth. But it, and Joseph's more primary than Mary. But in the Joseph accounts, the angel comes to him and he says a couple things significant. He says, you're going to call him Jesus. Remember this? Because he will save his people from their sins. And then the angel saying this and quoting, might, might be math, might not be the angel, but quoting from Isaiah, saying, no, this angel says it because he's going to be born of a virgin from Isaiah and said you, he will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Save his people from his sins. Son, uh, line of David, son of David, save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us. And then we come to chapter 4 and the baptism. And when Jesus then is baptized, I mean, John's already said, I, the one who's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. And when Jesus shows up to get baptized, John's the one who's making the objections, right? No, not, I should be baptized by you. What are you doing? And that's kind of like, why is Jesus getting baptized? And all this is partly him. One, he's endorsing John's ministry. But he's also, there's identifying with all humanity. John's preparing people for God. So he's identifying with that. And, and when he comes up out of the water, we see this, the Spirit of God in the form of a dove comes down upon him, and then we hear the voice which says what? Is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. It's who he is. And then, the same Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness 40 days without food to be tempted. And you remember the beginning of the temptation. Two times, the evil one comes to him, and what's he saying? It's about his identity. If you are the Son of God, then do this. Jesus doesn't fall for it at all. But it's all about his identity. And Matthew wants us to see this as he comes into it. And what we're going to read right here is he's launching into his public ministry now. So there's kind of three sections of this. Uh, the first one will kind of go through a little bit um, the geography, his location, uh, what, his, what his message is. Um, then, he'll, then we'll go through a section where it's kind of the first followers. And then we go through where he's, he's preaching widely. He's proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom, and he's healing in synagogues and crowds are following him all over the place. And I'm just going to note this ahead of time. And Sammy, where are you? Do you have the microphone already? Good, okay. Uh, you can come up to the front row. So Sammy's going to read it in a moment. So you kind of go, what do we focus on here? What, what's the thing? So I, so I actually think there's something significant about the geography. Are we going to focus on the message, which is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Or do we focus on the part of the followership? So if she's about ready to read it. I want you to just think through that and note the contrast between those who follow him. There's some initial for, and there's the crowds. 
And I think Matthew set that up so we'd see that contrast in some kind of way. So if you do this, if you would stand with me. Oh, I should say this. Sorry, I got one more thing, don't I, Meredith? So this is kind of the, the, the theme all the way through this. When you see the contrast in the different kinds of followers, that there are many people that are interested in Jesus, but there's a few who obey the call to follow him. This is God's word. Okay, I did not prepare to read this beforehand, so here we go. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From the time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went through the, all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Amen. Let's pray as we stand. Thank you, Sammy. Father, again, this is your word that we've heard read. You have intended that we would hear it today. We ask this, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, help our hearts to hear and receive what you have for us. And this we pray in the name, the strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. So let me, let me tell you where we're going. Sometimes I let it sneak up in a surprise, and sometimes I don't. So we're going to see the contrast of these followers. We're just kind of walk through the narrative. And again, we're going to end the service at the Lord's Supper, which is a good time for reflection for us. But once again, we, we have this theme out here that I think he's put that many are interested in Jesus, but few obey the call to follow him. And that should be strike, uh, a bit striking for us in this, in this text. So I got this broken down in scene. Scene one is kind of, it, it begins with the where. Look at, look at verse 12. He says, um, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali. So John gets arrested. Jesus begins his ministry. But it uses an interesting word that Jesus begins by withdrawing into Galilee. I mean, how's that withdrawing? He had been in the wilderness. So he, we, one presumes that he probably came back to Nazareth. What, is, what does Matthew mean by withdrawing? Kind of interesting. 
So I, I think it's this. Galilee in the north, as you will actually note in the uh, prophecy that comes later, the way it, it's, it's, it's spoken of. It's not like the great place, right? I mean, Galilee, it's, actually here it's called Galilee of the Gentiles, the pagans. In other words, Galilee's not the place where a king would begin his to rule. It's not the place where Messiah would begin his ministry. Jerusalem is clearly the spiritual, political, and economic center of Israel. In fact, the north isn't religious at all. It's the opposite. It's of the Gentiles. There's too much pagan Gentile influence there. And so you know this, the, the strictly religious Jew, what would they, what would, how did they operate? They were separatists, right? You separate yourself from all kinds of evil, evil people, including everyone who is non-Jewish. Just think about that for a moment. I mean, because that, that sounds right in some ways. But it's not God's heart. We have the towel, don't we? As we've looked at beginning and end of this book, it's just so interesting that the, the first ones coming in in Matthew's account looking for the king of the Jews are probably Persians. And, and Matthew's gospel ends with the call to go to all the nations. This aspect of the, the Gentiles being in God's heart and God's mind in terms of what he's doing and, and the commissioning there by Jesus at the end really was blowing away the first century Jewish mind. But they were separatists, and whatever he's doing, he's not starting in the place where Messiah should start. I, I, I think there's a tell in that also when he says withdrawing. Wait, it says he leaves his hometown of Nazareth, which is in the center of Galilee. He goes to Capernaum by the sea. As you know, much of Jesus' ministry takes place there, along the Sea of Galilee. Fishing community, hometown of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We'll talk more about that in later times, but... Um, the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee is actually the, on our planet, it is the lowest freshwater sea or body of water. I can't I think it's about 800 feet below sea level. And, and there's, a, there's a rift as it, it's the, the wind comes down through the mountains in the north. So you have sudden storms that will, will kick up on this sea. I think it's, if I remember right, it's about 14 by 9 miles long. Might, might be a little longer, but it's, it's, it's good size. That's this fishing community. But again, Matthew wants us to see, it's not just that he's withdrawing from Jerusalem or someplace. What Matthew wants us to see, why is he noting it? He tells us, verse 14. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Jesus starts there purposefully. According to the prophetic word of Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years before. I, I didn't count this up. I know chapter 2 has got four uses of that word. He fulfilled this prophecy, fulfilled this prophecy. So it's at least the fifth one, but I think it's more. Matthew wants us to see that all on the way, who this is, he's doing exactly what God had foreordained, exactly what God had spoken. This, this is Messiah. So now what I want to do is look at that. Is he just trying to show us this is a fulfillment of prophecy? Oh, we, we, we touched on this, didn't really get there in the morning class. Let's just Look at the prophecy. So here's what I'm going to do. If you look at verses 15 and 16 in your Bibles, that's, that's it. So it's, it's almost the exact words, but slightly different usage to some of Isaiah. And I think we have this projected. I'm going to, I'm going to turn to Isaiah 9 where this comes from. And I'm going to read it. 
I think we have it. I hope I gave it to you, Meredith. Yeah. So you, you can compare some of the language back and forth, but I, I want to get the message, and essentially, this is from the first two verses of Isaiah 9, but I'm going to continue the reading for, through verse 7, and you'll see why. I want you to feel it. So th- this, again, in terms of Isaiah's writing, uh, again, the people have been apostate. He's talking about the Assyrian um, invasion, but what the Lord will end up doing. He's always redeeming his people. And there's a little turn here in terms of God's promises. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. I'm going to come back to that. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. I'm going to pause for just a moment. Let me go back to verse 1. There'll be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It's the land of the Gentiles. I mean... The strong Jew doesn't live there. But in latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. How did he make him glorious? What's this alluding to? This is Jesus coming. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. This is a prophetic word. Talk about, this is the unlikely place. It was the place of contempt. People in dark, a light's dawning on them. This is how Isaiah writes it, and this is how Matthew's recording it. But I want to continue the Isaiah reading, and then we'll come back to these verses. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the, he's just describing metaphors of joy. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you've broken as on the day of Midian, at Gideon. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's like deliverance for them. And here it is. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of of the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What's he speaking of? It's Jesus coming. It's all right there. And Matthew's, as he's just saying, this sounds like, oh, Jesus began his his ministry up north. That's where he's going. And Matthew's going, this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9. That land that was a place of contempt, that's, that's where he's gone. That's where it is. So here's what's interesting. I think God's doing this all the time. And you see this in Jesus' ministry. The people who least expect it. The people who they feel least deserve it. Is the very people Jesus is going to walk into, walk into their lives. That's the people he's going to come close to. It's not the powerful. It's not the, the most religious. 
It's most needy. And when, you come, when we come to chapter 5, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. I call it the Great Outdoor Sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the one broken and humbled, and know they got a need for a Savior. That's who he comes to right here in this room. That's who we are, if we know it. You don't, well, I could go off. We'll say it this way. Pride takes such subtle forms. Uh, it's, pride is very much in the politically left and the politically right. Pride can be in those of great financial means. It can be of those who, who have very meager financial means. Pride is not exclusive to one category of people. I, I do think our culture, because we have great affluence, uh, makes it more difficult. I think, I, I think we ought to all be aware there's more pride around us than we can be aware of. I mean, Jesus, uh, it's Luke's gospel, I guess, where he says this, and uh, it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of the needle, Campbell to go through an eye of the needle than a rich man to come to king, into the kingdom. He does, I don't know if you ever read that. Have you ever heard that one before? Yeah. So just make sure when you read, you, could, you go ahead and read the Zacchaeus story because when you read the Zacchaeus story, pretty rich guy and the camel went through the eye of the needle. Okay, so God does that. But the affluence can be a, be a real distraction and we all have it. It doesn't matter how much we may. We all have it in our culture. And Jesus is continually coming to those who got need. And there, there is this, this land. It's unexpected. Bethlehem It's a know-nothing town. That's what he loves to do, and it's here right in this particular prophecy. Now, notice this. I'm back in Matthew again. So look at how Matthew, it, it's a slight paraphrase of the first two verses, how he describes it, verse uh, 15 and 16. Uh, okay. Uh, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Friends, I don't think we can imagine the darkness of first century Jews, particularly those in Galilee. They've lived under oppression for so many years. What they've longed for has not taken place. The Romans were not good to them. Nor do I think we can imagine what it was for the light that Jesus brought as he taught in their synagogues and that. Or can we? There's, there's a lot of darkness in our day. There's a lot of darkness in this day. Uh, I was talking to a brother this morning who was doing coffee, and we are just talking about the, the political polarization that's just going on all over the place. And... It's, it's um, continuing to move that way in terms of language. Feels, you know, some people, actually I was talking with a person who's not a believer. I spent some time with them a week ago. And uh, they're, they're uh, despondent, would that be the word? Fearful, that would be the word. They talk about climate change. They talk about all these different things. And they're just like, they're grasping no hope. And we have very different worldviews. Um, there's, there's a darkness feeling a lot of a lot of people. He's, he's using prophetic imagery here. 
So, and when he does so, we're supposed to feel darkness. Now, what he said, Jesus brings light into it. We're supposed to feel it. He's making that point that way. So, I don't know how you do it. I, <clears throat> so, I want you to just imagine darkness. Whoever is that? Anybody been in a cave someplace? Okay, good. So you, you're, you're going to have some good picture of this. I just, so I wear contacts. I get bad eyesight. I, so I, I think I said this before. My wife likes ambiance at meals. I like to see my food. You know, it's just kind of, it's like a different deal. Or we, this always happens. I don't know why. So we had, we had grandkids spend the night and Noel's kids spent the night. You know, she got four foster, three foster kids. Feels like four. Feels like eight. Those three. Um, so he spent the night the last two nights, you know, it's got all this challenge getting in bed, all this stuff, and it's dark, you know. Oh, you gotta have the lights off, you know? And their bedroom's right down by my bedroom, you gotta be quiet. So I got the lights off, and I'm like, hey, it's 10.30, I'm checking out, I get up at 6, see you guys, like, whenever, you know, I'm like, I'm dead, so I'm sneaking down the hall, you know, barefoot. I stepped on this. Oh, yeah, yeah please. This is not like a soft, cushy, stuffed animal. We had lots of those I could have stepped on. This is like, it's got ridges. And I'm like, I let out a yelp that woke up almost two grandchildren. I didn't. But I was like, oh. It stopped me from running into the closet door that was open. I was glad for that. I wouldn't have seen that either. It's like, I just, light, I hate, okay, that kind of darkness is annoying. It's just annoying. But if you've ever been where it's pitch black in a cave, I mean, pitch black where you can't see anything, that's not annoying. That can get scary. But you know, you go on a cave tour, they turn the lights off. How long do they keep them off for you? Five minutes? Probably not 10 minutes because people would hurt each other. It's not that long. Darkness for an hour? That kind of darkness for a week? That's not annoying. That's scary. Really scary. You, you don't know anything. For a month? For life, that's what he's describing in this metaphor. These people, they walked in darkness. There's nothing. This is darkness of soul. This is, this is no hope. They didn't have it. Their whole life is that way. It's into this darkness, he writes, a light has dawned. That's a darkness of soul. Friends, when Jesus enters, everything is changed. Amen? Everything is changed. Everything. This dark Galilee, it's where Jesus began his ministry. It's where God sent him, told by Isaiah, not Jerusalem, not to the influential, but to the poor, to the harassed. This, friends, is who Jesus is. Amen? That's why he came. That's for us. That's for us. So then he tells us what of his preaching. That's the where, but what of his preaching. In verse 17, he just says this thing simply. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a bit of two parts to that. And interesting, we remember this was John the Baptist's message also, right? It's the kingdom of heaven. It's at hand and repent. Again, think about it from a first century Jewish perspective. They, you know, the they, they've heard about the kingdom all the time since they were kids. Jewish, their, their festivals, the stories they would hear would be about Messiah coming all the way through. They were looking for, longing for, though they didn't fully understand. And for sure, there's some longing for it more than others. 
But when, he's, when he preaches that, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What are they thinking? They'd heard John say that very same thing as he said, I'm preparing the way for the one to come. He's coming. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. Oh, and it's the same message, actually, that Jesus commissions his disciples to preach. We didn't get there in Sunday school class, I don't think. Chapter 10, when he sends out his disciples, he tells them that also. This is what you go, and this is what you preach. It's come near. And friends, where Jesus is, the kingdom comes. It comes near. It comes with him. What would people think when they heard this? What was it? Jesus is bringing his kingdom, and for sure, there is a, in, in their own hearts, there's an anticipation created. What, do I need to get ready for that then? Well, he includes that in the message where he says, yeah, repent. So we've talked about this word a lot of times. It's not a common one language we use out in the streets, but it, it's a biblical word. It's, it's very good, and it's actually multidirectional because that first part is this aspect of you stop this direction, and then you turn. So there's got to be, in this, there has to be some kind of recognition that whatever direction this one is, it's the wrong way. So I stop, there's this turn this way, and it's not like a, a partial turn, it's a complete turn, and it's this way towards Christ. The word literally means it's a change of mind. How I used to think, I don't think. A change of desires, the things, there's a desire change in there. Now again, while it's a command and it's a call, it's something that God does. So it's just interesting, God calls us to these things that we cannot do on our own, which is also part of where humility comes in in terms of faith, but we ask God for it, and he does that within us. You, you, you dads, you want to give your son, ask you for bread, you're, gonna, you're not going to give him a stone or a fish. How much more your heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So if you're in that place, you don't know, just just ask Him. Just ask Him. It's what He loves to do. But it's it's a call to us, and it's not a mild thing. So once again, the, the end of this chapter gets to I think two different kinds of followers. But that's what that's what John has said. That's what Jesus is preaching. It's the same kind of thing He has the disciples commission. It's this turn all the way. And the only way I, I know how to describe it. And for, for us Americans, you know, democracy, we don't, kingship we don't get. Can I just tell you, really the only pure government, the best one would be a benevolent king who has all rule, all authority. He just does, but he is all good. And every action, every thought, everything he does is all good for his people. And that does not exist. It has never existed in human empires since the garden. But it will be when he ushers it in in full. But in the meantime, the followers of the king, those of the kingdom, we still want to be submitting to that king, right? That's what Matthew's, that, that, that's what he, he's calling us to. Get, get to the Sermon on the Mount. That there's a call to us that this repentance, what goes on, we talked about this a little bit at the nine, 10 o'clock class, 10 o'clock, was the, the people of the kingdom, we think different, we live different, Though we eat just like everybody else, we got human skin just like everybody else, all that other stuff. We have to obey traffic laws like everybody else. Said that for Chuck? No. 
We, we, all these things, we do. But there's something, there's a different heartbeat, different rhythm, different love for enemy. Different way we view our resources. Different way we view our identity. Same job. We got the same vocation. But whatever my vocation is, when I'm a citizen of the kingdom, I view that job differently. I do, I do not view that job about what I attain, what I can get. I view that job as I am a servant of this king. I'm a citizen. What does that mean for me in this role? It is so dramatically different in how it reorients everything of your life. Where Jesus comes, the kingdom comes. And he's building his kingdom right now, all over the earth, right now. He is. He's calling us. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a change of mind, a change of heart. Verses 18 to 25. I, so again, this whole passage sets up what I call the great outdoor sermon because I think he's going to really drill down to explaining what, what citizens of the kingdom are like. But we've got, we've got these kind of two scenes. The first one, these four fishermen are called. Uh, they're called to follow him. Uh, next week, we're going to spend more time just on that passage. But as we noted in the early class, you will notice the word follow. He calls them to follow. And later on, when you read about the great crowds, they follow. So let me read that again. Just listen, possibly, for how people are the same here and how they are different. How are these followers the same? How are they different? And does that relate to Jesus' message? A repent for the kingdom of, is at heaven. Here we go. It's at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and, and paralytics, and he healed them. Imagine that scene. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Did you get the, the language? Called to follow, they followed. All the crowds see these things and they followed. So let me just ask you, what's a follower? What's a follower? I mean, I think in this text we see a couple of kinds and I think it's a huge contrast that Matthew, as he sets up the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's, he's set that up for us. So again, this is written, we say it, it was written to the first century Jewish church, but it's for us. God intends us to go on further. But he wants that first century Jewish church to understand there's, there's a difference here. And I think it's good for us to consider that. That we are meant to consider Am I a follower of Christ? What kind of a follower am I? 
That's, that's for us. That's right here. So that's probably the question that I'm going to really, we're going to set up thinking about as we walk into the Lord's Supper, okay? So again, if you follow the narrative in Jesus' ministry in those last couple verses, he's teaching in their synagogues. He's going all over. It sounds like he's hitting every single town. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he says he's healing all, every disease and affliction. I mean, People that are demonized, people that are paralyzed, they're, they're, getting, they're getting healed. And it says, so his fame spread, and they brought him all kinds of the sick. And then great crowds followed him. And then when he goes through the geography, I mean, it's the, it's the whole land here, Jerusalem, G- Judea, beyond the Jordan. But what kind of followers were they? So there's one sense, I'm, I'm creating, uh, I'm juxtapositioning to here. Follow this. Lord, feed me Uh, 5,000. Heal me. Free me from these demons. Make my life better. I mean, why wouldn't people want that? Is that wrong? Notice that this kind of following, it can be more about me than it is about Jesus. That's the subtle danger of it. If, If there's no true realization of who he is. Now, don't get me wrong, because Jesus does all those things, right? He's got compassion. He's going towards people. Let me just, let me just say this, too. I, I've said this different times. People go, ah, they're just coming because their motives aren't pure or whatever. Like, Nobody's motives are pure. They never are. So don't, don't compare ourselves to someone else, okay? That, that's, just, that's off the table. Jesus does all these things. But then again, what kind of a follower am I? Is it only for what he does for me, or is it for who he is? Now, hear me also. I don't think the disciples get this clear. They probably don't get it clear, actually, until the resurrection. But the way Matthew's got this set up, there's these different kind of followers. So how does a true follower respond to Jesus' message? And we'll, we'll try to drill down to this a little more precisely next week, but we do see in the four fishermen, there's something that's pretty immediate, there's something that's pretty complete in this. And we don't see what, what's in it for them, at least at that point. So again, I, I think that's the right reflection for us. What kind of a follower am I? What kind? Is it with a real realization of who he is? So I'm going to say this both ways again. I want to, I want to make this, okay, I do that often. Is it for who he is? Or is it simply for what it, he does for me? Now let me get this again. He does all those things. He heals. He does it when we don't understand everything about him. Okay? So you don't have to be like super mature to just simply trust him and believe but let it not be just what he's done, or, to, or let me say, to make my life better. I have, I have people that I, I, I think their aspect of Christianity is this is good for me. I believe in the morals. Uh, I, I know one person, they want to date a Christian girl because of what type of people they are. So that's, that's not genuine Christianity. So there's a place where you come to realize and. This is, this is who he is. 
And I think that aspect of king and submitting to him, no matter what, so that that's where identity is, 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 a, is a huge part of what repentance actually is. So let me just, if you're confused on any of that, that'd be, I just, I'd love to have more conversation. Mike, Pastor Mike would love to have more conversation. Let's just talk about it, because I know that's what God does. Now, this actually came up in our, in our Sunday school class. Um, so I'm going to quote, we're, we're finishing chapter 4. It ends there, even though we're going to go back to the four guys, fishermen. The next thing Matthew does, he goes into the Sermon on the Mount for, seven, for three chapters, where I think he's unpacking the kingdom. The last chapter there, verse 7, chapter 7, he says a couple things that are connected here. So I'm going to just read them. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On, on that day, meaning the day of judgment, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, this is Jesus speaking, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I, it, this is near the end of that sermon. I mean, since, a, since I was a, a youth, I remember reading that going, it was stunning to me. I don't know about you, I have not actually exercised a demon out of anybody. You know, I, I, I haven't done a miracle. I haven't done like some of those amazing things he's talking about there. And the, and the thing that always struck me is, is someone could do things like that in the name of Jesus and not, and he says, I never knew you? I'm like, man, that's, that's someone who is quite confused in some way. What's going on? It, it just, so I meant, Jesus has that, and I think it's meant to be a, a, like a wake-up. How is that? And when I read something like that, I don't go like, see, that's just like such and such. No, I go like, if it happened there to them, why do I think it couldn't be for me? So I think in the way Matthew has this set up, what kind of a follower am I? We're meant to ask that really of the Lord. Okay, listen to me. We're not measured no one's done enough. That's not the deal. It's over here. Do I really believe that in a way that I submit to him? Now, if you're not there yet, but I just want to say, you ask the Lord about it, because I think the Lord draws people to himself. The Apostle Paul would say, against my kicking and screaming, he did it. And some people here would say that too. But just ask him. Here's the next thing he said. Or in chapter 7, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. I want easy. That one leads to destruction. Those who enter that one are many, but the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Don't you find yourself wishing for easier? God's in the hard. He's in your hard. He's in showing you what your need is and that he will, he will meet you in that need. And, we, and sometimes we're, what we pray for is that God would relieve the hard. He's, he's exercising demons. Those with seizures, he's, he's healing. He's got compassion. He does that. But sometimes I just want the way out so fast. When God will show me himself, he will show me Jesus' life in the hard. It, it just, it's how he is. And I know my demeanor is I want it easy, and it's not the way of life. So I don't know what your heart is. 
And I'm not trying to minimize your heart. I just want to say right here, more than anything in the world, you look and you ask him about it. Let him reveal himself to you. I've seen it again and again and again. Is This is the place of transformation. This is the place where he does the work. I, I, said, I don't know if I said it here at the other campus, but the hardest season of my life was not that long ago. And I'm telling you, God, the way I say it is God forced me to depend on him. There's a humbling that I didn't even know I needed. And it hurt. I was ready to give up. I begged him for so many things and given up, and he wouldn't let me. And it was really good. There's ways, there's changes that are still ongoing in my life, but things that he did in that. I just know that's who he is. And I'm reading for you. These last couple, these are Jesus' words. They're meant for us, not to spank us, not to demean us, to show us his life. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. He wants to give us his life. He's got good for us. He wants his kingdom. It's like this, it's like, remember that, that mustard seed that's planted? And it, it's the tiniest, but it grows into this, it's like a giant bush or giant shrub and all the, the plant or the birds that come and nest in it. He wants to grow that, so there's nourishment to others that happen, but it's what he does. What kind of a follower am I? How does the Lord want me to respond to that? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, if you guys will. So how we're going to end is this. Um, I think they're just going to play instrumentally um, in a little bit. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And the way, way we do that here is when you're ready to come up and take it, you just can come up and you can grab the, the unleavened bread and, and the cup and then go back and take it in your seat. But um, let's... Let's let this be some reflection for a while already, okay? And I, I say this different times. I just want to be clear on it. Um, this right here is for those who submitted their lives to Jesus, okay? So if you go like, I don't, I'm not quite there yet, that's okay. And I'll say, we're really glad you're here. But then don't take this because that wouldn't be ready. I mean, you wouldn't be ready for that. This is like, I'm, I am all in, <laughs> I, I am all in on this. I'm not per I'm all in on following him. Um, but if, if, if you feel like that's still in the way, just, just wait on it. There's no shame in that. And uh, if you want to talk about anything, we love talking about that because here's what I know. The Lord pursues people. He pursues people when they're not looking for it. It's happened all over this room. He does it for the needy. He does it for the wealthy, Zacchaeus. He just does it everywhere. He loves to change us. He loves to let us know his life. He is the first missionary. Left heaven, left it all to pursue us. That's what we're going to worship around right here. Isn't that amazing? Let me pray, and uh, let's just reflect on that then. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is in this place. I thank you for brothers and sisters that are around here that have encouraged me so much. I thank you that you're going to do a good work. That's who you are. As we remember your sacrifice, your death on our behalf, that is bearing our sin at the cross so that we would be not only forgiven but have 
your righteousness, O Christ, and then access to the Father, that we can talk to God the Father any time, any place. What mercy, what grace. Let it affect us to every molecule of our being, every, every breath, every thought, and come out of us in a way that would reflect you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.